Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy on this July morning to welcome you to Marsh Chapel, whether you are here in person, listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR, or over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later to the podcast at bu.edu slash chapel. It is a special joy to greet you this morning as we begin our annual Summer Preacher Series, and so, too, to welcome to the pulpit this morning the Reverend Dr. Ken Carter, Senior Pastor of Providence United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his greetings as he is away in these summer months, and we look forward to his return in August. Now let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather in this Gothic nave in awe and reverence, we come seeking to know that God, God that, is in, that in the light of one who knows us most deeply, 
we might come to know ourselves. That is to say, we come seeking our vocation, that which we are called to be and do in the world. We would catch a glimpse of a vision of that way of being to which we are invited out of an infinity of paths and possibilities. But how can we see, how can we know, if our vision is clouded and we deceive ourselves? As we pray in silence during the singing of the Kyrie, let us confess our wrongdoings and missteps and offer them to God in whose light we may see light. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord.
Let us read responsively verses from Psalm 82 with the antiphon. in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Now, beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Deo and the reading of our Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. 
And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. I want to express my gratitude to Dean Hill for his friendship, for the invitation to be here today, and for his ministry to this great university, and to acknowledge what a privilege and an honor it is to speak in this chapel with its profound legacy and its living tradition. The kingdom of heaven will be like this, Jesus says. And then he tells three vivid stories, which we find collected in the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Next Sunday, we will focus on the parable of the talents. In a midweek conversation, we will reflect on the parable of the great judgment. The one story has to do with our gifts. Do we take a risk and share them? or do we bury them in the ground? The third parable has to do with our actions. Have we been compassionate? In each story, we are given opportunities for a long time, and then a door closes, and there is an accounting, a spiritual audit, a final answer to the really critical questions. What did I do with my money, with my time? How was I in relationship with the poor? How did I welcome the stranger? How did I greet the prisoner or visit the sick? Deeply embedded within these two parables is the presence of Jesus himself. What if Jesus is the treasure that we share with others? What if the good news cannot be suppressed? What if the gospel is the gift that is to be multiplied? What if Jesus is the woman who is sick, or the man who is homeless, or the older teenager who is now in prison? What if Jesus is there in plain sight, waiting to be noticed? When did we see you, he is asked, at the great judgment. We were not quite prepared for your coming. What if Jesus is the one to whom we are accountable? Well, there is another story in the 25th chapter of Matthew, the first one, the lesser known of the three. And yet it too is about time that is drawing to a close, the kingdom of heaven impinging on all of life. It is, most scholars believe, more allegory than parable. Parables have one meaning, one point, but allegories have multiple meanings, each facet of the story representing something else, something visible pointing to something beneath the surface. The teaching of Jesus is set in the context of a marriage in first century Palestine. We are not sure about all of the customs of a wedding in that context, but we can draw some parallels with weddings in our own time and places. In the congregation that I serve, weddings tend to be sprinkled throughout the late spring, the summer, and into the fall. 
All sorts of customs and questions surround these weddings. Who will light the candles? Will the mother of the bride, will the mother of the groom? Who will take care of which preparations? Did anyone forget anything? The marriage license? The rings? In the story, there is a bridegroom who is Jesus. There are ten bridesmaids who take their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Five are foolish, five are wise. Here the bridesmaids represent the church, which is always a gathering of the wise and the foolish. Or, as the movie title of a generation ago had it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus seemed to grasp this. The church is always weeds and wheat, growing up together. Or imagine one house on a rock and another in sand. I think Jesus was a realist. The church was always a mixed bag of motives, pure and impure intentions, true and false beliefs. How could you tell them apart, the wise from the foolish? Well, that's what makes it so interesting, because you can't, really. They all purchased the bridesmaids' dresses at the same shop. Externally, on the surface, it's all going according to plan. Everything following the same agenda. Years ago, I was helping a couple to prepare for their wedding. They were fine young adults, having benefited from the advantages made possible by their parents, having spent some time in higher education. I don't recall where or how much. Good people, in love with each other, but something was not quite right. I could not put my finger on it, and even though we had two wide-ranging conversations, it never emerged. It was just beneath the surface. Well, the day of the wedding came. The service began. The father gave the daughter away. He kissed her. He walked to the first pew. He sat down beside her mother. The couple joined hands. They walked to the altar with me. They said their vows. They exchanged rings. They knelt in prayer. They stood up as the soloist sang the Lord's Prayer. I pronounced them husband and wife. They walked down the aisle arm in arm. But there was a tension there. I chalked it up to a nervousness that is natural in a large gathering of people. Later, I stopped by the reception, and it was almost a different world. Everyone was so happy, so joyous, so relieved. I gave it a brief thought, but I went about my business mingling, saying hello to friends. Finally, in conversation, someone spilled the beans. It seems that this was the third, and happily successful, the third take on the couple's plans for a wedding. The first time the bride had called the wedding off three months before the date. The second time, one week prior. All along, things had been fine externally, but internally, something was happening. Something was missing. Weddings can be that way. We get caught up in the externals. But what was going on inside the bride and groom? Just beneath the surface, 
What is going on inside of us? In the gospel, everyone is making plans for a great wedding feast. And in the tradition of Jesus, this was a sign of the coming of the Messiah. A wedding was an extraordinary event. It still is. But there was more going on there than a promise between two human beings. It was all about the union of God and the people of God. On the guest list, there is the cast of characters. How is it that some are wise and some are foolish? In the story, this has to do with whether there is oil in the lamp or not. In the Old Testament, oil can represent deeds of love, or the Scripture, or the Holy Spirit. The problem in the Gospel for today is not that the bridesmaids fall asleep in anticipation of the coming of the, of the bridegroom. They all sleep, wise and foolish. The issue is their readiness. And externally, they are indeed all prepared, every detail cared for, with one great exception. Is there oil in the lamp? Did they, do we, find ourselves running on empty? We will most likely live through a series of energy crises our consumer needs depleting the oil reserves as our collective automobile gauges move farther and farther toward E. We remember the anxiety of all of that a couple of years ago, even as we anticipate it again in the future. And of course, the obvious points to the not so obvious. What is going on inside of us? I heard a professor speak once about preaching using the imagery of a lantern and the oil being used up, the flame getting dimmer. The speaker from the African-American tradition said it plainly, you have to keep oil in your lamp. It helps to see the entire 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel as a whole. Jesus making one extended argument. You and I placed on this earth for a purpose. To love and work. To worship and play. To take care of the needs of our families and those beyond us. And there does seem to be a note of urgency in these three stories. These parables about oil in a lamp, talents, and judgment. We can fade this sense of urgency in the great thanksgiving. It is, we declare, the mystery of our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. From a human point of view, the cliché is correct. Time is of the essence. And so John Wesley would say, don't trifle it away. Be ready. Be prepared. Now as a child, growing up in the Deep South, I understood this as being about having my life in order in case the angry judge came today. I heard this in more than one revival setting. But today's story has a different tone. Pay attention or you will miss the great celebration. So whatever became of that couple? I did talk with them about all of this later and they laughed. This had been the right time for them. They had lived through their own share of heartburn on the way 
Their relationship had also been the cause of many sleepless nights for their families. Somehow the inner conviction had to catch up with the external event, and it did. This was their time. These three stories in Matthew 25, these three stories of Jesus, are very much about timing. They got passed around among the earliest Christian communities for a simple reason. Jesus had promised that he would return, but this did not seem to be happening. Where was Jesus? They remembered the word in Matthew 25, 5. The bridegroom was delayed. Was the bridegroom haggling with the bride's family over some economic aspect of the wedding? More than one scholar sees this as likely. But the delay of the coming of Jesus was a crisis of faith. Is God trustworthy? Is the Word of God trustworthy? We answer that question by learning to be patient, by persevering, by giving thanks even when the future is uncertain, by preparing ourselves to wait a very long time. And so we set aside that extra flask of oil, the reserve, so that our faith will be able to carry us through the darkness. This teaching has echoes in almost all of the later writings in the New Testament. Do not be weary in your well-doing, the author of Hebrews says. Do not neglect to meet together. And the author of 2 Peter, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. The church in its wisdom places these three stories in Matthew 25 just prior to the season of Advent, which seems far removed from us now, deep in the heart of the summer. But for the Christian, we are always living in Advent. We are always anticipating a new birth or a rebirth. These were stories about patience, but not a passive patience. In the meantime, while we are waiting, while Jesus has been delayed, and our patience becomes protest, and on many days we ask, we look at the world and we ask, where are you? In the meantime, we consider the lamp that is our soul, that is our heart, that is the interior life. It is, Jesus reminded Martha one time, the one thing that is necessary. Along the way, there are questions. Is there a flame there? Are we running on empty? Is a fire burning? Are we burning out? And how do we keep the fire alive? And here, for me, the three stories in Matthew 25 merge into one. The oil is a burning desire to love God and love our neighbor, to worship God, to take risks, to share our gifts, to make our lives mean something, even if we do not have the future figured out, even if we are discouraged because something has not worked out as we had planned. We cannot control the external circumstances. The markets rise and fall. The wars do not come to an end, and peace is delayed. The creation groans amidst the degradation of the Gulf Coast. The church disappoints us. Those we love struggle with chronic illness. And yet we hope 
for an intervention, an outbreak of peace on earth, a scientific breakthrough, an awakening, a miracle. It would be easy to give up, to despair, to become passive. And yet each of the parables in Matthew 25 is a call to do quite the opposite. Do not be weary in your well-doing. Keep the oil in your lamp burning. Do not bury your talents in the ground. Use them for the glory of your generous master. Do not withdraw from those who need your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service. In moving toward them, you may indeed meet Jesus. And all of this may be your salvation. And in doing all of this, the scripture says, the kingdom of heaven comes a little closer. The flame of justice burns a little brighter. The sacred fire will be kept alive for yet another generation. The warmth of the lamp will remind us that God loves us if we had forgotten. And that the Messiah, the reign of justice and peace, is not delayed forever. So pay attention. Be prepared. Keep the oil in your lamp burning. Amen. called to prayer through our singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the way that will help you to most support the prayers of this community. Please feel free to stand or to kneel at the altar, to stand in your place, to raise your hands, to respond in your first language, however you are so moved by the Spirit. In the prayer, I will set the intention 
and then say, in your grace, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Beloved, let us pray together. are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals, and for the communities of which we are a part. For our particular ministries in the world. For our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life. For the ministry of all our brothers and sisters in campus ministry. For the work of all the church. In your grace, hear our prayer. With and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations and joys of our human life, those things which strengthen our hearts and bring us to joy. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray in trust, as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Let us all say, Amen. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Hello, my name is Elizabeth Fomby Hall. I'm here um, at Marsh Chapel as a director of hospitality. And once again, I'd like to welcome Reverend Dr. Ken Carter to the pulpit. Thank you for joining us. And I'd also like to welcome his wife, Pam. Thank you for coming all this way from North Carolina to suffer in the heat with us up here. <laughs> Um, if you like what you've heard so far at the pulpit, uh, Reverend Dr. Carter will also be here next Sunday, and he's also going to be presenting a luncheon seminar on Wednesday at 12 noon in the Thurman Room. He's going to be discussing issues around rethinking the church and our place in the church in the 21st century. So if you're interested in hearing this discussion and perhaps participating, again, that's Wednesday at noon in the Thurman Room. For more details, ask me or Dr. Carter. If you're interested in um, taking in some physical activity and getting active with the Marsh Chapel softball team, we have a few more games left this season. For more details, find me after church. And also, last but not least, we've got the red pads that can be found at the center of the aisles um, towards the end of the pews. If you would just take a few moments to fill those out so that we can get to know you better, we'd appreciate that. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
give us every good and perfect thing. We offer back to you these our gifts of money, symbol of our time, life energy, resources, and devotion. Bless and multiply them, we pray, that the giving may become receiving, and the receiving may become giving. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Receive this benediction. Go now in peace to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Bear witness to the love of God in this world, so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever.